Chapter 1 of We Were There at the Normandy Invasion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. We Were There at the Normandy Invasion by Clayton Knight. Dangerous Business. Towards sunset on the first day of June, a small black car rattled past a crossroads sign in a tiny village in northwestern France. The sign pointed to the nearby town of Saumia-Eglise, about two miles further inland. The coast of the English Channel was nearly three miles back in the other direction. Behind the wheel of the car sat a thin, anxious Frenchman. Hunched beside him was a young, blonde Englishman. The younger man was shabbily dressed, and most of the lower part of his face was covered by a bandage. The car pulled up and stopped in front of a house with a weather-beaten sign on it which read, Pierre Gagnon, Gas, Tobacco, Chocolate. A lone gas pump stood between the house and the highway. Beyond the house lay Pierre Gagnon's farm. The driver waited a moment, and then honked three times sharply. Almost immediately, the door opened. A dark-haired boy of about twelve came out. The man behind the wheel asked, Is your father here? The boy nodded and politely explained, If you want to guess, I can work the pump. The driver frowned nervously and repeated, Get your father. From the direction of Saint-Mère-Église, three German soldiers came in sight, their heavy tread echoing in the stillness of the drowsy village. Both men in the car and the boy glanced at them. When the boy did not move, the driver spoke more sharply. Yofazio, bring him here. The boy turned and disappeared through the door. The driver and his passenger waited. The younger man slid low in his seat, his back toward the approaching soldiers. Chatting among themselves, the Germans paid no attention to the car, nor to a girl of fifteen who had come to the house door. Behind her stood her father, Pierre Gagnon, a burly man with a thick moustache and rumpled country clothes. He brushed past the girl, and at a signal from the driver, went to the pump. The driver left his seat and bent close to speak to him. Pierre Gagnon listened carefully, then swung around and went back to the girl in the doorway. Marie, he whispered, they want us to hide this fellow, another down flyer for two or three days. The girl studied the youth slumped low in the front seat. She thought, He looks like all the airmen who are shot on over France. The way dies, the peasant clothes that don't fit, the bandages. Who is that driver? she asked. Has he the right password? Yes, her father replied, and he asked us to hide this English pilot till the Marquis can find a way to get him over the border into Spain. Do you think we can do it? In Normandy, that part of France which thrusts northward into the English Channel, apple trees were in bloom. Warm, soft breezes played across the green fields, over the thick hedgerows, and through the orchards. But in this beautiful spring of 1944, the people of Normandy could not enjoy what they saw. They could only hear the tramp of German boots over their land. 
Nazi armies had occupied France, and for the last two years German camps had been set up over the countryside. French property had been seized, and Nazi officers told the people exactly what they could and could not do. The town of Saint-Mérglise sits almost in the middle of what is called the Cherbourg Peninsula. Most of the Norman people are farmers or dairymen. Some are fishermen, but the Nazis would not let them fish. Instead, the Germans set up barriers along the shore to prevent boats from landing, and they lined the coasts with huge guns. Also, the fields were spiked with posts and barbed wire to keep American and British gliders from landing. For many months, the French people had been expecting British and American armies to come in a great invasion that would drive the Nazis out. But their hopes had always failed. No troops had come to liberate them, and the Normans felt glum and often angry. More than anything else, they wanted to be free. The only thing they could do was to cause all possible trouble for the Nazis secretly. Those who banded together in underground or resistant groups were called Maquis. If a Maquis was caught by the Germans, he was very likely to be shot. Nevertheless, many French ran the risk of being detected helping the British and Americans. Even very young men and girls operated in the secret underground. The Nazis tried to watch everyone, but sometimes the most innocent-looking car on the road was being used to trick them, even in the quietest village. It was happening now. Marie Gagnon nodded to her father. Bring him in, she whispered. I'll get the room in the attic ready. One moment, her father said. I'll send André out of the way first. What he doesn't know, he won't chatter about. He shouted through the door. André, come here. There was a clatter of heavy shoes, and the boy appeared. Son, his father said sternly, have you taken the eggs to Schmidt yet? André hesitated and shook his head. No, my bicycle, I could not get the chain fixed. His sister snorted at him. You're getting soft, eh? Want her child to walk. The eggs are on the kitchen table. André thought, sisters. But to look at his father's face sent him back for the eggs. As he turned down the road towards Saint-Mail-Eglise, his father went back to the gas pump. André had not gone far when Pachu, his dog, caught up with him. The puppy gave him a playful nudge as to say, I'm sorry to be late, but I had to give the car a good long sniff. After walking less than a mile, André turned off and came to a group of camouflaged barracks. Inside the high wire fence, narrow buildings stood in long rows. A German sentry, his rifle held loosely, guarded the gate. He grinned at the boy and waved him inside. As André entered, a Frenchman pedaling by on an ancient bicycle shouted to him, but a burst of Pachu's barking drowned out the greeting. André went around a large group of military vehicles and mobile guns parked under a protecting netted screen. Then he followed a winding path up to one of the barracks. Pachu, prancing ahead of him, leaped playfully at the middle-aged German soldier seated on a bench outside, puffing on his pipe. Gently pushing off the excited dog, the German saw André and called, 
Aha, tis young Yer Gegnon. He tapped the ashes from his pipe and then added, Your brat Prappy Schmidt, some more eggs, no? Andre held out the package. The German placed it on the bench and carefully unknotted the big handkerchief the boy had brought. Schmidt explained when he saw the contents. Ach, und the cheese, too. He held the cheese to his nose and inhaled deeply. That's good. You are a fine boy, Andre Gagnon. With a twinkling smile, he added, Almost as good as my own auto. Look, I show you. He reached into the pocket of his tunic. Just today a letter came from my home in Onsebrook. And the pictures, pointing to one, he said, That's my auto. He's like you, no? Andre studied the snapshot of a boy about his own age, but with light, almost white hair, frowning into the sun. A little embarrassed, Andre could only say, He wears funny clothes. The German chuckled. If he could see you, he'd think your clothes were comical, too. Glancing at the letter in his hand, he sighed, Ach, but they are having it ban in Osnabruch. Dingletzer and the Americaner, brains they bomb, bomb, bomb are down. Part of my home is gone. My wife and boys say they get no sleep. Almost to himself, he muttered, When will the war end? Then, turning to the boy, he said sadly, Ach, how do you know me any more than me? We smile while we can and enjoy the sunshine. Pachu had wandered off to one of the other barracks and started a fight with one of the camp dogs. Andre called over his shoulder, I'll be back in the game in a day or two, and ran to separate the two animals. By the time he and Pachu reached home, the last twilight had faded. The house was dark, for blackout curtains were drawn across the windows. Inside, his sister sat hunched alone in the wide, stone-floored kitchen, listening to music from a forbidden radio. Where's Papa? Andre asked. Marie looked annoyed. He's gone off with Victor Lesco. That old Cotin is making trouble again. Now he says our cows walk into his pasture. What an old weasel he is. Even the Germans behave better. Later, with supper over, she paused suddenly and raised her hand for Andre to be silent. Breaking the stillness, the weird wail of air raid sirens rose far away. Marie looked tired, and there was fear in her eyes when she heard the sirens, which meant that another air raid was beginning. Again tonight, she sighed, and so early, it is not yet at ten o'clock. She went to the kitchen window and made sure the black curtains let no light through. You run upstairs, Andre, and see that the curtains are tight, and stay with Mother, she ordered. Madame Guignon had been ill for several weeks. Now she lay in her big bed upstairs, nearly asleep. She opened her eyes as the sirens died away and then began again. Well, son, she said, did you eat a good supper? Andre nodded. A little wind from the sea had sprung up, and somewhere a loose board rattled. Also there was a noise in the attic. I must be a rat. Andre said to himself, and decided to take Pachu up there tomorrow. He'll have some fun chasing that little thief, he thought. His mother was roused again by the drone of plane engines coming in high overhead. Their lofty beating made the air tremble. Anti-aircraft guns and nearby sawmill iglaise began to boom. Their hollow woof, woof, 
added to the din of the sirens. In a slight lull, Madame Gagnon asked, Is your father home? I do not like him to be away when there is an air raid. André shook his head and raised his voice above the racket. He is out with Victor. Marie says Raoul Coutin is trying to sew up trouble again. He wanted his mother to think of something other than the air raid, so he laughed and added, Marie says Raoul is a weasel. Earl Coutin's mischief-making was a village joke. Madame Gagnon sighed. I wish your father would come home, she said. The bombing might be bad. Don't worry, André said wisely. These are English planes. The Americans only come in the daytime. You know, Marilyn, there aren't any big guns and widges and war factories close to us here. But bombs were dropping, though at a distance. Several minutes later, the coastal guns were so firing, but the sound of the engines had begun to die away. Listen, says Madame Guénon in a relieved voice. You are right, André. They dropped no bombs on us. André heard his sister's footsteps on the stairs. Then he thought he heard the creak of the attic door. Presently she came bustling into the room, carrying a small tray with a pot of chocolate and a cup. Cheerfully, she said, there, Mama, they're gone. Let's hope we get no more planes tonight. Here, pouring the chocolate. Drink this and I'll try to get back to sleep. Her dark skirt swished around her knees as she fluffed up her mother's pillows and tucked in the coverlet. Downstairs, the front door opened and they heard a Pierre Guillaume, he calling, Marie! Then someone spoke in another voice. Shh, whispered Marie. There is someone with Papa. Her father was saying loudly, Yes, here, Capitan. I'm all right. No, no, it is not necessary for you to come in. Before Marie and André reached the head of the stairs, the outside door was slammed, bolted, and the stranger had gone. The light from the hall lamp fell on their father as he turned to face the stairs. Across one of his cheeks stretched a deep red gash. End of chapter 1